the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength conditioning and strength and conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Barbell Medicine Podcast. We do this every Monday, so thanks for tuning in. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Really appreciate you joining us. This week is episode 145. We're talking with Bryce Kratchek of Calgary Barbell. If you don't know who Bryce is, pause the podcast. Not like right now, but after I explain where to go, pick your social media choice, search in Bryce Kratchek. You're going to have to look at the title for the spelling of his name and uh, just watch in awe of this guy's not only content, but also his lifting chops. This guy is seriously strong, and I really think you're going to enjoy this week's podcast. We talk about our initial forays into coaching, some common issues that we feel like uh, will be helpful to you, the listener. Also, we talk about programming because why wouldn't we? That's going to be really fun uh, when you guys get into that. And then also how to be better as a coach, both at your coaching craft and then also at business, um, because that's an important part of the game. That and much, much more on this week's podcast. First up, some announcements. My birthday is this week. Uh, I don't know if that's newsworthy, but hey, Thursday, June 17th, I'll be turning 36, so happy birthday to me. I'll be spending this year's birthday in Daytona Beach, Florida. Yeah, that's not my vacation spot of choice. No offense to Daytona. I actually like Daytona. I go down there for, I used to go down there for bike week on a regular basis when I was uh, racing motorcycles, but this year, it's the site of the 2021 USAPL Raw Nationals. Leah Lutz, one of our coaches, is competing. Claire Zai, another one of our coaches, is competing, and a host of other barbell medicine clients. So we're going to be down there all week uh, watching people pick things up and put them down. So if you're interested in powerlifting, the live stream, uh, you can find that on the internet. I'll try to put the link in the description below. I don't know if there's a single link, so if there's not a single link, you just, you'll just have to do some Googling. Use your Google Foo to uh, check that out. But yeah, a full week of very, very strong people. That's going to be fun. And then also... I got to get some golf in. So I'll be playing uh, TPC Sawgrass. If you're into golf, you know, that's going to be fun. Uh, also playing at Arnie's Place in Bay Hill. And then also the Kiowa Ocean Course should be a good time while I'm on the East Coast. So, uh, you know, if you follow me on Instagram and you hate my golf posts, maybe just, you know, take a social media holiday, at least for me. <laughs> so that's what's going to be going on. Also, uh, again, Barbell Medicine Seminars are back. So the rest of this year, we will be doing live in-person seminars. In August, we'll be in San Antonio. October, we'll be in Philadelphia. In November, we'll be at Alan Thrall's gym, Train Untamed, uh, in Sacramento, California. So if any of those places are kind of near to you, or if you know you feel like getting on an airplane, we'd love to have you at one of our seminars. Spots are filling up fast. People have been wanting to come to these seminars, so uh, we hope to see you at one of them. And I put the link to the to those in the description below. So without any further stalling, let's hop into this week's podcast with Bryce Cratchit. Hello, everybody out there. My name is Bryce Krawcheck, and uh, happy to be a guest here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Um, I am a Canadian powerlifter and powerlifting coach. Been competing since 2012, so coming up on my decade uh, on the platform, Ooh. and I've been coaching for I'd say six or seven of those years. Uh, five, five or six of those have been with Calgary Barbell. And uh, yeah, you might have seen me on YouTube talking about uh, sumo deadlifting or uh, any number of other topics. But uh, yeah, happy to be here today chatting with Jordan. So thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Super pumped to have Bryce on the podcast. The The Canadian-USA border is not closed to audio waves or the internet <laughs> so we can make this happen. Yeah. I'm so bummed. I mean... I, look, I, I'll be honest. I didn't have travel plans to Canada, but the idea that I can't go to Canada is bothersome to me. Yeah. Um, 
maybe not right now, but maybe in the next month or two when the weather starts, you know, really getting nice. Um, so interestingly, Bryce has, we started competing around the same time. I think my first meet was 2011. We have the same coach and really the whole topic of this podcast is why Bryce is stronger than I am. We're just going to (laughs) like, hash out all the details. Yes, exactly. I'm just, yes, this is more for my personal gain than anybody else listening (laughs) to this. But, uh, no. And then Bryce and I worked together. Was that, was that 2014, 15? Yeah. I want to say it was 2014, 2015. Yeah. Yeah, during the original bulk, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, one of one of many original yes. bulks. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, do you remember what you weighed initially? I tried to pull it up, but, like, G- Gmail was like, nah, that's too far. So I think, I think that was when I was, like, maybe 98 or around 100. Yeah. And I was trying to make that push up into, like, 104, 105 kilo mm-hmm. territory. Yeah, but and then now what, now what do you weigh? Uh, now I'm like 118, 119 ish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jelly. I mean, I thought last year I was gonna, getting ready to kind of come back to more competitive powerlifting rather than just like local meets, which I'd been doing, you know, mostly because like business and medicine, that's all the stuff, right? Any excuse yeah. I'd come up with, I was like, it's just really hard to like focus on, on really, really important training, but I like competing. So whatever. So I was like, oh, I'm going to come back as a 105. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, and, oh. I just like for, so for me, I think, I think it's, and I don't know if it's because I have so many other interests outside of powerlifting that where like my body mass can like get in the way or, mm-hmm. or not necessarily be helpful, but it was not, it was unpleasant. I yeah. got as high, I got to one Oh two. And I think the combination of like my golf game, not necessarily, it didn't suffer. It was just like, like walking the courses was less enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that my lifts didn't necessarily take off, I wasn't like getting the positive, you know, if yeah. I had benched 500 or something, I'd be like, all right, cool, it's fine. Yeah, but, yeah worth uh, it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think that weight gain is is necessarily bad, but for me in particular, my frame and like what I, all the things that I do, um, yeah, it was it was less, less than enjoyable. And now that there's really no, like the meets are starting to come back, I'm starting to tinker, maybe. So mm-hmm. we'll maybe revisit that. But uh, for the listeners who've been living under a stupid rock, uh, or, or maybe t- they've recently gotten internet access, um, take us through like how you got into, or, or before we get into that, just like your Calgary barbell, that's your, like just how you got into that. And then um, we can go through some of your lifting stuff. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I think it was probably a year or so before I found powerlifting, I started doing like the whole personal trainer thing. So I started looking at how to educate myself. I started uh, working under uh, a guy who ended up kind of mentoring me as he built his own business. So I had some really cool insight into how he was doing things. Um, And I think the first like fitness education that I ever did was a group of like 12 to 15, like 20 to 55 year old women. And it was like, I was like, I was mortified. I was, I was so nervous going in to like (laughs) train these like general population, uh, clients. And uh, yeah, so, um, I definitely got my start in like box gyms and just like helping people learn how to do a squat and then have kind of developed over the years to the point where I got asked to no longer lift at the box gym that I was training people at. They were like, you can coach people here, but we don't want you to lift here anymore. Um, and while I was doing that, I was going through school and 
did a, a like business class project where I had to come up with some branding and like, if you were going to make a business, what would it be? And that kind of led to the eventual birth of, of Calgary Barbell. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, you went to, you went to school and then I actually, it actually paid off. Listen, you know, yeah, imagine that. that hey. uh, <laughs> so did you, did you, was your business plan actually like, did you call it Calgary Barbell and your whole like pitch? And like, I did. Yeah. And I had like the, I, I nicked some like, I don't know, like a crappy, tiny little gorilla head screaming logo and like wrote Calgary Barbell on it. And then eventually had like a talented graphic designer actually re- remake it into something real. Um, but yeah, a lot of that kind of held true. Uh, I didn't end up opening my own gym. And I think that's a, like a common misconception. I think a lot of people think that I own the gym here in Calgary, but um, it's actually a, a gym owned by, uh, I guess, close work uh, like friend, uh, coworker, whatever who owns the gym. And I've been working with him since we were essentially a broom closet in the back of another gym, but he's always owned the space and I've always operated my training company within the space. So saves me a little bit of overhead and I don't have to clean the urinals and that kind of stuff. So also less responsibility. Cause then it's not like, you know, you're response, you are in charge of like making sure that the business is solvent. You're just responsible for your own personal business. Yeah, exactly. Pluses and minuses to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, so you probably similar to me, we end up up interacting with a lot of coaches or would be coaches and, you know, invariably people get seduced by the idea. I want to train competitive athletes Mm -hmm. or, you know, if they have lower aspirations, I want to train competitive powerlifters. And you're like, uh, okay, (laughs) Uh, you know, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, downplay that. Like it's fun. It's particularly because we are obviously interested in the sport and we participate in the sport, but invariably you're going to train a lot of gen pop folks. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious, like, what were you afraid of? Were you afraid of like, just in, in general doing it wrong or like hurting them or like, that was what probably was, the biggest thing at first was like yeah. just generalized imposter syndrome kind of vibes, right? Like, do I know enough? Do I have any idea what I'm doing? And this was, you know, so when I very, very first started, I did like a weekend certification thing because sure. the guy that, uh, that I kind of mentored under was like, get a certification, come in and work for me. And then like, decide if you want to go further with school and education and see if like, if this is really what you want to be doing. Um, so yeah, I did the the weekend certification and and was kind of amazed that uh, that somehow qualified me to to do the, the next <laughs> steps of things. Um, but yeah, I was definitely I was concerned. You know, am I doing too much? Am I not doing enough? You know, what does the textbook say about all this kind of stuff? And it was, you know, it was it was the beginning of that bridging the gap between theoretical and practical knowledge. And I think it took a while maybe not a while, but definitely in that first session, I kind of didn't really, wasn't able to necessarily connect the dots in terms of what should take priority in terms of prescription, queuing, coaching, and all of the multifaceted things that I think are involved. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's, I, I think that's a very normal sort of response just because mm-hmm. like it's impossible to know what to do and have confidence in what to do without the experience. You can yeah. have I mean, you could get a CSCS, you could have the ACSF, the, with the health and fitness specialist, you could have whatever cert, CrossFit, I mean, run down the list and none of yeah. them effectively qualify you or, or give you the skills needed to actually work with somebody in person and have confidence in that. Because again, it is all sort of theoretical and even the most basic questions remain unanswered. For example, like how many reps should you do? 
and of what yeah. exercises and like how many exercises. And you're like, like the very basic stuff that you're like, I, I'm unsure. So, I mean, I had a yeah. very similar experience. My When I started in a commercial gym, I was training just gen pop, right? Nobody was coming to that particular gym at first to train with me. Uh, because I was a nobody. And then also like, that's not like, it wasn't a destination location for like athletes or competitors mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay. So I, it, yeah, it was like a, like a few weeks. I was just, I felt at very similar imposter syndrome, but also like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. It just didn't make sense. And so then I, I got to the point where I was like, the, these people should probably be doing something kind of like what I'm doing, at least like Mm-hmm. overall like i think some sort of squat pattern and, and deadlift pattern and pressing pattern or bench pattern should like probably be involved and like what do i even really know because at that point i would already been like competing for a year like actively like competing and then training for more years than okay. that doing like yeah. powerlifting or powerlifting-esque stuff and again at that point 2007 there's not a lot of the internet is like yes a very real living thing but youtube at that time or like mm-hmm. searching like how to power do a squat like you're only yeah. getting deep squatter, you know, like like West Side yeah. stuff. So well, I remember my first like foray into trying to find internet knowledge on powerlifting. <laughs> yeah. And it was like it was either I think Elite FTS and like very, very West Side esque advice mm-hmm. videos of Matt Wenning telling guys to like arch your back harder, arch your back harder, arch your back harder. Mm-hmm. Uh or it was some barely decipherable forum posts on somebody running a Shiko template. And that was, that was pretty much it. Yeah. I I felt like I got kind of fortunate because through some rabbit hole, I ended up on the website, the tight slacks of Denzo bond, which is like this (laughs) compendium of, of, yeah, well, it's this compendium of like old time articles from either the muscle and health, like and wider's publication, publication. And then invariably I ended up with all of the iron mind videos, Randall Strawson. And so I'm watching all these Olympic weightlifters from yesteryear, uh, like just do very impressive stuff. And I was like, this seems like a very, in my mind at the time, a very athletic way to train and likely productive. And so then I was like, yeah, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to squat, we're going to deadlift, and we're going to press and bench and do chin-ups and some conditioning work. And the conditioning mm-hmm. work is going to look like a sled you know, sled work or, or something yeah. of that nature. And at that point, in the commercial gym in particular, people were like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, what are you- man. But at the same time, that kind of carved out this niche for me. And then as my education kind of continued, it seemed like that that gelled. And that also coincided with CrossFit blowing up and and whatever. So, uh, but yeah, I think if you're listening to this and you're like a new coach, you're thinking about becoming a coach, like it's normal to feel that way. You don't, it'd be weirder if you f- didn't feel that. You're like, I have all the answers. It's like, <laughs> yeah, then, then you need to like take a step back probably. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, I actually agree with your mentor. Like, yeah, get a cert, whatever the cert doesn't matter. Cause it's not really going to prepare you adequately to do your job anyway. It's just a piece of mm-hmm. paper. And then you have to like go seek out additional knowledge and skills and, and then get experience. And then that's how you kind of craft your particular skill set. Yeah. Uh, and see if it's something that you want to do. I think a lot of people think yeah, they want to yeah. do stuff and then they do it. And hopefully it's before they've invested sure. tens of thousands of dollars and years of their lives in getting good at it. Uh, yeah. And then they realize they do or they don't like it. Yeah, they do. And the turnover's high, right? That's why, because they feel like they either don't like it or they're not as successful as they want to be. And then they're like, that's a lot of time spent that, yeah, could probably be spent doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we'll get we'll come back to this in some in some ways uh, later on in this podcast. But uh, I'm curious about your first meet experience because again, mm-hmm. we we started around the same time. Do you remember your first meet and like how oh, that absolutely. went? Absolutely. All right, t- take us through that. Um, so I think at the time my squat was pretty much, I just like fall and hope I could get back up. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was squatting, I don't know, four inches too deep. Like one of those guys, you kind of got to take aside and be like, look, bro, you don't get extra white lights for going <laughs> right. any deeper, you know? Yeah. Um, and I also remember in the warm up room before my bench, uh, opener being told, okay, you can't lift your head off the bench. You can't take a false grip and you have to put your heels down. And all of this was absolutely contrary to how I had been training the entirety of my training career. So, uh, I think I went like one for three, maybe two for three on the bench. And then I had a really great deadlift. And I think after my third attempt, somebody yelled at me, like, put some weight on the bar. And I wasn't sure if that was a compliment or an insult. I'm like, am I, did I do something wrong? Are you making fun of me? Like, but, but in actuality, somebody was just like, dude, you call that a third attempt. You should have like, you got way more in you kind of thing, but I just didn't know how to take it at the time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, right. I remember also the lights going up on that first squat and just feeling so, so invigorated and so like fulfilled in some weird way or, you know, it, it just like, it really clicked for me in that first meet that this was something that I could see myself doing a lot for a long time. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. Although I did, I I was like super intimidated because at the, I mean, at the time, again, there weren't really a lot of resources. Like, oh, your first meet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, here's how it's gonna go. You just <laughs> right. like you show up to some random gymnasium and like, wow, this doesn't look like the squat rack in my gym. Wow, th- these weights don't look. It's not the same bar. It's not the same. You know, whatever. Yeah. And, and and you hope you know the Where's rules. Where's the conversion um, chart? <laughs> Dude. Well, so even then, like, I, I think the weights that they used were like these old York plates, like there were gold plates that were hundred pound plates. And then they were like, and then they used the Avanco barbell that's got like three knurling marks on it. And you're like, Mm -hmm. where do I even put my hands? Um, but like, so I, uh, I remember I was like starting to warm up and Micah Marino was actually at my first meet. He had been competing as a junior geared uh, at the time. And I remember his buddies were like helping him like get into his squat suit. And I I'm watching this. I'm like, what the, I don't even, that's crazy. What that makes no sense. And like somebody pulled maybe a little too hard and he projectile vomits just like, oh, blue. Man. I know. And Welcome I was like, to powerlifting. is Holy this crap. powerlifting? Yeah. <laughs> and so then I like, I like pan right. And Brad Gillingham then enters the room, just yeah. this monster, you know? And I was like, Dear God, this is like the <laughs> hugest person I've ever seen. I was like, what am I doing here? I was like 176 pounds and nothing. But yeah. uh yeah, it was it was wild. But at the same time, I think for me, the third deadlift, when that went up, white lights, everybody's clapping. I mean, everybody, all 50 people who were attending the powerlifting meet, because no one's yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. powerlifting. But I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would like to say for the listeners at home, I did not, I was not like, I didn't, I didn't win my first meet or anything. I got like, no. like fifth or sixth or something, but I was like, this is it. This is my sport. I don't know. It's yeah. just, yeah, something about it. Um, and then, all right. So do you remember what you're totaled at your first meet? Not off the top of my head. Okay. I think yeah, I, I pulled, did. I think I pulled like five, five forty or five fifty though. <laughs> yeah. We had I, I had a good deadlift like right away. We had the same deadlift. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went like 200, I, 440, 308, and then 
540 or something like that as a 181. And, yeah, I, I and everyone's like, oh, pretty solid numbers. Around there. Yeah. I think I squatted like 192 or 197. Yeah. And then benched like 135 and pulled, yeah, 250, 255 or something. And then now, what's your what was your last total at your latest meet? Uh, my most recent, my equipped meet, uh, I squatted 400, benched 262 and a half, and deadlifted 400. So just for the people at home, uh, when he says 400, we're not talking pounds. Those are kilograms. Yeah, eight, eight, That's 881. 881, yeah. <laughs> That's a flex. That's, <laughs> I don't even – so like my bar math in kilos only goes up only goes up to like 320 because I'm okay. like that's – you know, my squat's not going to surpass that. Deadlift, I can do the change math after that. And my bench, right. obviously, I'm not putting you know, <laughs> that on the barbell. But so yeah. – so, I, I guess I'm curious, how, what made you want to get into gear? Was it just like, oh, this is different. I'm going to lift more weight. I want to learn this or just like more that curiosity? That was a huge part of it for sure. Um, I think like equipped lifting was kind of presented to me in a cool way. We had a like a provincial coaching summit. So a bunch of the coaches uh, in our region kind of all got together and shared a little bit about their coaching practice. And one of the guys, uh, his entire presentation was on equipped lifting and why it's cool and why you should do it. <laughs> uh, and during yeah. the time I was, I was kind of in the earlier stages of dealing with my, my hip injury that I've kind of been dealing with for ever now. Um, and I thought, well, maybe this is a way that I can continue to push my training and not be in pain when I lift. Uh, and it turns out that was the case, which is, I think part of why I took it as far as I did. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was a different challenge. I was, I really enjoyed being a novice again because, you know, you have kind of a similar like noob gains phase where you're going through and you're learning the equipment and you're just getting better and better and better. And every session you're putting 10 or 20 kilos on and it's feeling lighter. And it's just, it's kind of like, you know, being back in the early days of getting onto your first structured program in some ways. Uh, so it was really attractive and yeah, obviously the weights being that much heavier. Um, you know, <laughs> I think that's why we're all here is, is for heavier yep. weights. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, okay. Your best equipped squats, 400. What's your mm -hmm. best raw squat? My best raw squat in the gym or at home is 320. Okay, so 80 yeah. kilo difference. Do you feel like there's been like some good transference back and forth or is it more unidirectional or like what's your what's your take on that? I think there's been some good transference back and forth. And I also, I mean, <clears throat> anytime I'm lifting equipped or training my equipped lift, that's, I don't know, maybe a third of my total training stress, maybe a mm -hmm. half at most. And then the rest of it is just training my raw lifts the same way I normally would. You know, I, I think one of the best accessories for a big equipped squad is raw squats. So, you know, I'm yeah. still going through and at the times where I'm strongest in the equipment or have been strongest in the equipment, those often have correlated really well with being my strongest raw. So yeah, yeah I think, I think it's a, strong is strong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think for me, with the bench, I did, I think, see some really good carryover of just getting heavier weights in my hands. And maybe there were some mental barriers there that I kind of surpassed. Or maybe there was some transference, um, you know, being able to do a bit more on the top end, you know, uh, for whatever reason. I, I do think it helped my bench a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anecdotally, a lot of people, particularly when raw lifting was like coming onto the scene, mm -hmm. there was a lot of talk about yeah you should maybe do some equipped training because a lot of the strongest raw lifters were 
equipped lifters. Mm-hmm. And, and that never really made sense to me. It's like, wait, you're telling me that people who've been training for a long time tend to be the strongest lifters? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Go, go figure. That has a lot they would, to do with it. Yeah, like they would use people like David Ricks or whatever who effectively came out of a bunch of gear and then did like the first raw unity meet and crushed everyone's soul. But it turns mm-hmm. out David Ricks is just real, real strong. Just you know? strong, but yeah. <laughs> turns out. Um, but I do think, you know, with the advent of like the slingshot, for example, that's mm-hmm. like a poor man's bench shirt. Mm-hmm. Um you know, deadlift suit, I don't know that a lot of people are going to get a ton of carryover, but yeah. you may be able to train your deadlift maybe more or harder or whatever, something different. Yeah. And then with the squat suit, though, or even like briefs or, or briefs knee wraps, and knee wraps. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's probably something to that, either handling the load or like structural changes to the muscle that occur via that excess load uh, or tendon structures that get stiffer and you get more pop, something. So it's very interesting to play with. I haven't done a lot with my competitors with uh like deadlift training equipped but certainly with the the squat and the um and the bench i've been trying to figure out like when are we going to get some like you know uh uh like a, instead of a slingshot for the bench but like a like a squat diaper like just like a <laughs> <laughs> i think there is one honestly yeah. i think i think there is one out there that kind of exists um i, I, I feel like brandon campbell maybe got a hold of one at one point oh okay yeah. I, I walked i walked up to mark bell this is a true story at like the 2018 or 19 crossfit games i forget what year and i was like hey man when's the squat diaper coming out and he's like what are you talking about I'm like just take a slingshot and make it into boxer briefs yeah. you know it, it'd be like like the ray-ban strongman pants but like with a little bit more pop yeah. it's like you got people with hip issues that might be useful for them you get a little extra overload on a squat maybe that's helpful and yeah. he looked at me he goes yeah we're not making that and i was like fine <laughs> fine i'll make it <laughs> i'll make it and i'll patent it yeah exactly but that obviously never came to fruition yeah i think the equip stuff is interesting if you guys haven't checked out or you're unfamiliar with any equip lifting if you check out bryce's instagram you'll see him handling some very very impressive weights but then obviously doing a bunch of raw trainings help you know there's good carryover both ways so yeah i have no desire to do the baby powder get into gear because it's like that's fair. yeah i think it's that's fair. it's a body hair thing for me honestly mm-hmm. like just <laughs> i could see that yeah i could see that really and, being a thing yeah i uh i thought this is what prevents me from surfing as well like getting into a wetsuit just like, like rash guard oh, stuff yeah no nah, i don't want it yeah. um so uh, one of the main reasons why Bryce is on a podcast, in addition to being a cool dude that we have uh, some history with, and, and he's obviously a, a great lifter, is he's a coach and he has some really good programming ideas. And I think we see things very similarly. We'll see uh, if we have some interesting points of contention here. But we have the same coach. Mm-hmm. And again, we've been lifting for the same amount of time. So again, I'm just, why are you stronger than me? That just doesn't make <laughs> any sense. But <laughs> I'm just bigger, man. I'm just yeah, bigger. Right. That's all. Yes, exactly. That's how I sleep at night. Uh, so Mike Tushare has been uh, my coach since 2013, save for a brief stint of CrossFit experimentation, which we don't need to talk about. How long has uh, Mike been coaching you? Uh, Want to say 2014? Yeah, so Maybe? close again. Right around the same similar. time, yeah. Yeah, you probably got both of us. And he was like, cool, I got these lifters. They're going to be great. And then only one of us turned, panned out. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm self-deprecating humor is my favorite. Uh, so the, before we pop into these programming questions, do you have a favorite Mike T like story? Oh, man, there's there's definitely a few that come to mind. But I think uh, I think that the one for me was <laughs> when I think 
I think it was the first time he was in equipment, his first equipped meet. So he got his squat suit or got a comp fit squat suit. And he found that the first few times he used it, he like had a really hard time getting to depth. So he just piled on more weight, got a little bit deeper and piled (laughs) on more weight and got a little bit deeper. And uh, I think he took, I don't know, must've been like 750 or something like that. And he still didn't get all the way to depth. And his initial thought in response to that was, oh, well, I'm definitely going to squat 900 at this meet because I'm going to need it to get to depth. So he called the meet director. Oh my God. <laughs> and called this guy up and went, went, hey, I hope you have enough weight for me because I'm coming to your meet and I'm going to squat 900 pounds. Um, and then I think like kind of... <laughs> ended up going for a training session with somebody who was a bit more experienced and got a bit of a reality check. But I remember him telling me that story and me laughing quite hard uh, at his like very early interpretations of, well, it's just going to take more weight. Yeah. The ball, can you imagine just calling a meat director? Hey, I uh, hope you got enough weight for me. And the yeah, meat director yeah. like, you better have you? enough weight this for me. Yeah. First world problems. Uh, I, I used to, when I was in residency, I was living in LA and Mike was coming there periodically for like this business development course. And, uh, so invariably we had dinner a few times. The second time he came in, he's like, uh, and I, I took him to this really awesome steakhouse and he, every time would message me, Hey, can we go there? I'm so excited. So the second time, yeah, we, I made a reservation, the whole thing. But then like I had this crisis because I had planned a date with this woman on the same day that Mike was coming to town. And I was like, Oh no, what do I do? So I told Mike, he's like, bring her. And I was like, fine, perfect. (laughs) This is going to be great. So, so this woman was like involved in the fitness industry, but not in powerlifting. But I thought if this will be fun, it'll be fun. And uh, at the time Mike had just started with that, like hip low back issue that he kind of had been, has been working through for, for a while now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we were kind of talking about that at dinner and the, the woman's like, have you tried foam rolling? And I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) And Mike's like, yeah. (laughs) She's like, what about, what about the couch stretch? Are you familiar with the couch? Like all these like things. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm so embarrassed. I can't even, (laughs) I can't even form words right now, but, uh, no, he's yeah. Mike, Mike T's a good guy. And I think it's probably for, for, for good, uh, has, has influenced our kind of the way we program and stuff. So a a lot of people that are listening to this are, they're powerlifting curious in that they, and I describe that like you want a big squat bench deadlift, but you're probably not going to enter a meet. And if you do, it's kind of for casual, uh, sort of, purposes uh more more so you just want to get strong in the gym so what are the biggest programming differences you think there should be between like a competitive power lifter like you're you got three meets scheduled a year one maybe is of high priority the other two like warm-up or training meets uh versus somebody who's more just like i go to the gym i'm interested i like the squat bench and deadlift but i'm not actually competing what sort of programming differences would you would you say i think the biggest thing um and i i run into this with I think I have some clients who either haven't competed yet, might not compete, uh, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I would say for those people who are serious about competing, it's kind of about how you would interpret their training data. And I think mm-hmm. you would interpret, you know, we'll call lifter A the competitive lifter and lifter B the the non-competitive lifter. And for lifter A, I would say what you're trying to suss out of their training is what makes them adapt, what makes them better, what's going to give us the the quickest or most reliable rate of progress be that, uh, you know, measuring stress, average intensity, um, exercise selection, all those things. And for lifter B, I would say, 
I would lean more into what do they enjoy doing the most as long as they're getting some results. Mm -hmm. So I would say focusing less on, you know, driving performance, sometimes at the cost of enjoyment. Uh, Although I do find for most of my competitive lifters, the more novel stuff that they enjoy doing, they have more buy-in to or more buy-in into. uh, And they're probably going to get more out of it anyways. But for somebody who doesn't necessarily want to compete if they're like you know hey i got this crazy ass bar uh, i want to try it out I'm like yeah sure uh and again to be fair i'll probably do that for most of my competitive clients too uh and find some way to make it work or fit the you know the sort of general model of what's been making them adapt but yeah i would probably lean a little more into novelty and a little more into you know what's going to help you enjoy it what's going to help keep you consistent um because those people probably also aren't you know, on top of every facet of recovery, be it, you know, taking naps or tracking sleep or, you know, nutrition, uh, guidance and those kinds of things. So if those aren't in place, you're probably stretching out your progress and and maybe having a little bit, uh, less magnitude over a longer period of time, which I think leaves more room for exploration. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think if somebody's a bona fide powerlifting competitor, you're making compromises, to their training from like a full on physical development standpoint in a, in an effort to drive maximum performance. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I should say that I'm talking about the person who's been training for a considerable period of time because yeah. it, it, in my estimation, when someone says I'm a new power lifter, like, like I'm a novice power lifter. I'm like, I don't really know what that means. Like, <laughs> because if you're a novice trainee, I don't know that your program looks much different regardless of where you think your end goal is, whether it's powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, body, like strongman, whatever. You just got to build this big base of training, right? But if you're like, you've been training for a while and now you're just getting into powerlifting, uh, but you're not necessarily going to compete, I don't know that you need to make all those compromises that a person like you is making or if I'm getting ready for meat that I'm making. And those Mm -hmm. compromises would be like with exercise selection, it's probably going to revolve. bicep curls less biceps curls unfortunately i know right like how do you (laughs) fill out a singlet like that's the only reason like uh but then also just like even just rep schemes right Mm -hmm. like you're gonna most of your stuff's gonna be in the lower rep ranges you're not doing a lot of high rep stuff you're not doing a lot of power development like just low uh low weight high velocity stuff because it just doesn't really transfer to your sport unless you find that an individual does for whatever reason really take off with that stuff so it's i that's my thing is like sort of you're you don't need to make those compromises and you can do other stuff whether it's more conditioning whether it's more bodybuilding or straight Mm -hmm. up hypertrophy work uh or whether it's uh yeah greater variety of of of, uh rep rep schemes um when you're because because again not every probably i would say a decent amount of your clients aren't stepping on a platform you know every six months uh especially not lately yeah for sure (laughs) For sure. What do you, how, what's your take on like a, like a, a bodybuilding block or like a hypertrophy focus block? Like, do you program those? And, and if you do, how, what are the, besides the rep schemes, do you like completely, you know, are they squatting? Are they benching? Are they deadlifting? Like, how do you, how do you do that if you, if you do it at all? I think it's been, it's been few and far between that I've built a program that doesn't have some kind of like comp squat, comp bench, comp deadlift in it. The frequency might be substantially lower. The overall training stress applied by those movements might be substantially slower, but I'll usually keep them in, in some regard. Um, I would say at this point, probably 90% ish of my clients are, are competitive, 
uh, or competing uh, at least somewhat seriously. So I, I think totally removing those movements for them might be a bit much in terms of just losing that sort of skills practice and, and maybe some of the neural adaptations. Um, but yeah, for hypertrophy stuff, again, uh, I really, I really find that some of my best results come from being very collaborative, especially with clients that I've had for a long time. Um, and just being like, what do you, what do you want to do? You know, what's, what's going to make you excited about going to the gym? Uh, what movements, what rep ranges, what protocols, because a lot of it is, you know, uh, exercise science is wonderful and fun and all. Um, but I think, you know, there aren't those clear delineations to say, well, uh, you know, this protocol is absolutely and indefinitely, you know, better than this other protocol. So if I have a lifter that leans towards one and is going to get more out of it and put more effort into it, then I'm going to use that one. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, a lot of getting away from specificity in terms of movements and exercise selection, um, you know, things like myo reps, uh, and different things like that, that can, you can use to kind of like mix training up in terms of the intent, doing like a circuit, um, giving people some open room to play. Uh, sometimes I'll just program a fifth day and be like, here, um, you know, put 20 minutes on upper body bodybuilding and, uh, 20 minutes on lower body bodybuilding, you know, three to four sets per exercise, yep. you give it. 10 to 15 reps and just like pick something you like, whether it's lateral raises or bicep curls or tricep kickbacks or like whatever you want to do, um, you know, apply some hypertrophy esque stimulus in the way that you, f- you see fit. And I think sometimes giving people that free reign is, is pretty refreshing. Yeah. It, you're giving them some constraints, but less constraints than you would do in like a very specific block. And that's mm-hmm. sort of like, allowance to do what you want to do and be your own manager is kind of yeah, play can be free yeah, like have some and play fun. yep yeah for sure um i i think the craziest i ever get with like hypertrophy blocks for people who are actually competing is like instead of a low bar squat if that's their comp variant we're like all right we're gonna do high bar mm-hmm. squat it, yeah, and I've done that. It, it's yeah and uh, some of that's like all right you have less expectations about what you should be able to squat, mm-hmm. you know, so we're, we're not going to like really overshoot the, the, the target stimulus. And then also like the overuse issue, which, cause you know, if you've been powerlifting long enough, you kind of get these little <laughs> aches and pains where it's like, man, my elbow's feeling kind of sore. I hate the low bar squats, making it feel a little gnarly today or like in bench press, you're like, nah, I don't feel great with my normal comp mm-hmm. grip whatever same thing on a deadlift you're like ah my hip or my back and it's not that these movements are inherently injury injurious it's just like you're doing it the same way every single time for similar rep schemes it's like yeah that hyper specificity there's a there's an ugly side to it too but yeah but doing a sumo deadlift is still a deadlift and still probably has some transference um whereas the gen pop folks i'm like you like uh you like the trap bar you want to you want to do that as your like main (laughs) absolutely man or you want to do the safety squat bars, your main squat variant, or you want to do the football bars, your main bench variant, or dumb, even dumbbell bench, right? Like I had a guy who was like, I really just want to dumbbell press the 150s. And I was like, Sweet. sounds, sounds <laughs> yeah. awesome. Let's like, yeah. we'll build you this dumbbell benching protocol. Uh, probably not going to be helpful for your competition bench in a powerlifting meet because, you know, last time I checked, there's no dumbbells there. But... <laughs> But if you're, yeah, if you, if you're a ways out, you have some freedom. It's just, I agree that if you actually have somebody who's competing, I don't know that I would do like a pure non-specific hypertrophy block unless there was some either injury thing that we were working around, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. some sort of like mental block as far as like, 
they were getting like squat anxiety all the time where it's like, oh gosh, I just am dreading this workout. And it's like, hey, we could take three or four weeks off, have some fun, you know, screw around. Not do singles for a while and whatever else, yeah. Yeah, sure beats putting (laughs) trash bags on the weight. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't have to know the load on the barbell. Uh, you know, it, it kind of related to that. I was talking to Knuckles last week. We were doing a little podcast, and uh, he told me that he does a lot of his warm ups on squat with his eyes closed. Really? Which is so I had this eye injury, right? That I've been like coming back okay. from. Yeah, like I hit with a golf ball, got an infection. It, yeah, less less than ideal. And so I, I I was supposed to squat three at seven and then surf for another fifteen reps. And so I was like, all right, it's going to be like 540, 530, something in that range. And, and I ended up 550, 250 felt like the three at seven. But walking it out, I hit both sides of the rack because my eye didn't work. And I then I hit the back of the rack and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know that I could squat anything with my eyes closed. Yeah, I walk out aside even. I feel like I'd have so, such weird perception and just like a lack of balance and I, yeah, I don't know. It'd be an interesting experiment if you had a full team of spotters and a safety rack just to see how yeah. much that impacts somebody who's really well practiced in the squat. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think that I'm going to start programming like blindfolded squats or eyes closed <laughs> squats for like somebody's squat variant. But, you know, an interesting, it would be an interesting experiment. Uh, as far as conditioning goes for powerlifting, are you doing any cardio these days? Um, so I get my like eight, eight to 10,000 steps and that's, that's okay. pretty much it. Um, like per day, that's yeah, your daily. Yeah. When okay. I, uh, when I was a one Oh five, uh, I'd go hiking almost every weekend, anywhere from like mm-hmm. 15 to 25 kilometers, plenty of elevation. Uh, and that was, that was great. Um, but I've found that hiking has become very, uh, there's, there's been a big, like very staunch increase in the level of difficulty of hiking at this body weight. So I've been doing a lot less of it. Uh, however, I do still try to get out from time to time. So yeah, that's, uh, about it. So it's, yeah. you're still doing some conditioning work, even if it's not formalized conditioning. Yeah. Um, I just take my dog for like three walks a day Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much it. And you can still squat 881. <laughs> Well, well I, did, I did in March last year. I don't know yeah. if I could do it right now, but right, yeah. I think the conditioning thing is kind of overlooked because people are like, "Well, if I do this conditioning work, I'm going to get, I'm going to lose all my gains. I'm not going to be able to yeah. train." And it's like, I think you got to be in shape enough to train. You know? I, yeah, absolutely. And I think specifically, like even as an equipped lifter, it was funny in March last year we had such small flights that I think I was one of the only lifters 120 and up that actually took all nine attempts. Um, oh, because really? oh. you know, especially if you're self wrapping, um, it's a big process to like get ready and get out onto the platform. And then you have, I think we had six or so lifters. So a lot of people were skipping attempts. A lot of people were just gassed and doing very poorly because it was all happening in such rapid succession. And I do think that being relatively well conditioned for such a big guy, uh, helped me a lot in that circumstance. Um, and I do, I do also think that my session times have been cut down since I've started incorporating a little bit more of a formalized, uh, conditioning, you know, I I don't have to take eight minutes between squat sets and (laughs) that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
like your intro workout recovery is is a little bit better because you have this aerobic base to kind of like draw from. Yeah. Whereas yeah, absolutely. P- other people, if you're not doing anything, you're like, yeah, I need seven minutes to recover from my four oh five for three reps, and you're like, eh, I don't know. It feels feels like we might be need a little uh, a little bit of help on the aerobic base there. Yeah, um, I think it's an just I think it's an advantage for sure to have like see, there a you go. little bit of a base and like I don't know, man. I don't I don't want to have adverse health effects from being 120 kilos. Like I know that's sure. maybe not the uh the ideal uh operating capacity for my vital organs and and such. So, you know, I want to be around for a while and I think there's probably some uh merit to maintaining some cardiovascular ability. Oh yeah. I mean, we have really good data that the there's a dose dependent relationship between cardiorespiratory fitness levels and all cause mortality, cardiovascular mortality, uh, cancer mortality, like just go down the list of any like chronic, you know, disease that takes people out. And it's like, yeah, if your cardio respiratory fitness level is higher, you do better with it. Even yeah. if you get the unfortunate thing, you do better. You sur- your survival survivorship goes up. Yeah. And so the pushback against like conditioning, particularly by the strength field is like, it's, it's, I don't know crazy to me so look this dude almost squats 900 pounds or has almost and he's telling you to do some conditioning just so go like, for a few walks like it doesn't even have to be hard yeah well that, that's the other thing is that people are like all right cool well so if i have my lifting programmed out like this it's very specific and you know i got my training log book the whole deal like okay so how do i plan my my conditioning and they're like immediately people don't go to sprints or sled pushes or mm-hmm. pulls and I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that stuff no if you have if you a, enjoy it like yeah if you enjoy it and and then also if you have like a base of training to like tolerate that. Mm-hmm. But if you're literally coming off the couch or the only thing you do is resistance training, it's probably that's that's the third or fourth step. Like you got to have this this base. Otherwise, it's probably not going to go so well for you. I actually have yeah. a really funny story from when you and I were working together. Oh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I ever told you about this, but I think you programmed me to do some like interval training, mm-hmm. some like high intensity sprints or something like that. And I never, ever did them. But <laughs> there was one day uh, where I was like, you know what? He's programming this stuff. Uh, like I'd be remiss to not do it. I'm going to, I'm just going to suffer through and do it. And I did it the one day and I was, I was like, I was furious afterwards. <laughs> I, like I, people talk about getting like a runner's high. I had whatever the opposite is. One of my, one of my lifters <laughs> came up and asked me some programming question. And I was like, I don't know, man, just do whatever the, you want and just like i was i had that yeah it was the weirdest weirdest thing but i was in a terrible mood after doing those sprints that's uh yeah that's barbell medicine right there just putting people (laughs) in terrible moods all over the world and i think it was probably because i didn't do them at all for the first six months and then all of a sudden was like yep i'll just throw these in and then i was like wow i'm not ready for this at all this feels terrible yeah yeah i mean that's the thing it's just the the whole point is like particularly the way I program conditioning for lifters is to improve their recovery in the gym, Mm -hmm. improve uh, their ability to recover from session to session. And then also like this physical activity stimulus tends to be really, really important with respect to appetite regulation in addition Mm -hmm. to all the health benefits. And so it's like, okay, so for all those reasons, Mm -hmm. we probably need to do this, but how do I get you to do it? Right. So yeah, I think the hit stuff, some people just gravitate towards that. They love it. They're like, yeah. I want to get in and get out 15 minutes. That's what I'm allowing. And other people are like, that's too hard. <laughs> and so, and so for those people, the low intensity steady state stuff tends to be 
you know, yeah, the, a better pick. And well, I was that, that guy you- going from like the couch into those sprints. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. if I, had, if I had been a better, like more coachable athlete at that point, I probably would have told you that I wasn't doing them and yeah. told you that like when I did them, I just about died and felt terrible, but I don't think I ever mentioned that. Yeah. Well, in that, in that case, what I would have, what I would have done is either, I probably would have asked you uh, if you're open to continue to do this interval work, if that's not something you're just like opposed to, mm-hmm. let's lower the RPE down and make it a more, it'd be a moderate intensity interval thing, or yeah. even doing aer- aerobic intervals. So like a minute at, you know, seven or eight or something like that versus like 30 seconds at 10 where mm-hmm. you're literally, you know, running from a bear. And, it, and it, but yeah, you're trying to find just like exercise selection, you're trying to find a modality that people will do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's interesting. I didn't know that, but that's, that is funny. <laughs> now I have a good Bryce Patrick uh, story. Uh, so we've been talking about powerlifting a little bit here. I think one thing that may be interesting to, to kind of delve into is attempt selection. Um, so even if you're powerlifting curious, maybe you're not going to like go to a meet, but you're, you like the squat bench deadlift and you do it in the gym. It's like, all right, well, how do you pick your attempts in a, if you're testing in the gym, you're trying to max, max out, which is basically every Monday and every commercial gym across <laughs> the country for bench press. Yeah. So, yeah. so giving people some practical tools for like how to pick attempts uh let's start out with the easier what i feel like is the easier way to do a uh, easier situation uh meet day how are you picking attempts for your for your lifters so we have a like a spreadsheet built out that'll basically give us a range uh i think we're usually prescribing an opener around like 89 to 91 percent of the goal for the day uh, and then taking jumps based on how well that moves, right? And 100% mm-hmm. being whatever your your goal attempt or PR is for that day or for the meet. Um, so we'll take, you know, anywhere between a 5 or 6% jump. Uh, another, like, handy general rule is you probably want to jump more from your first to your second than you do from your second to your third. Uh, and also go in with a range of acceptable numbers and base that off of, how your training's been going, right? You you should be doing some math ahead of time to get an idea of, okay, you know, what, what am I probably or likely good for, uh, as opposed to just kind of pulling a number out of your, out of your head and being like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hit this. So, yeah, I mean, there, there would be some like general sort of heuristics for, for something like that. Yeah. So you're thinking like around 90% ish for the opener, 95 ish for the second and then 100 to 102.5 like if we're talking about a 1 rm or 100 mm-hmm. of the goal just depends yeah. on how you kind of swing it and i agree the the second to third jump should almost inv- always be smaller my caveat is usually on bench press or mm-hmm. third pull on a deadlift it's like i typically take the same jumps on bench it's like a five kilo jump each time That's fair. yeah <laughs> yeah particularly for a raw lifter uh although or less if you're just depends how much you're benching and then the third pull on the deadlift like Everything's on the table. Yeah, it's like if yeah, I could take- win, <laughs> I might I might put that on there. Yeah. Um, but in the in the gym, when people are testing, people probably don't have that level of like cerebral sort of you know goal setting and and like strategy. They're kind of just like, well, how do I get the maximum performance out of myself today? Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious as to like how you would coach the gym bro who's like. I, I'm, a, I'm trying to max out on bench press today. I haven't even really been doing a bunch of singles. I don't really have, I have this ballpark idea of what I want to bench, but all I know is my historical max that I did six months ago. So like, what do you, where, where do you start this person? And like, how does that process go? 
See, it's interesting without a lot of data, and it's funny. I'm I'm, I'm spoiled. I'm a spoiled powerlifting coach that has uh, <laughs> all these metrics and data and uh, spreadsheets and all these things to help me uh, make these decisions. But uh, I think, like, if you can think of something that you hit for like a hard triple or a triple that was you know somewhere near the top of your capacity, starting there for one is probably good to get a gauge for your day. Um, and then, you know, jumping, uh, depends on, on the load size. It could be 2%, it could be 5%. Um, but just like adding a little bit of weight and not trying to go straight to what your top end is. So adding maybe Mm -hmm. less than you think you'll max out with and trying to break that down into maybe two or three attempts, kind of like you would in a powerlifting meet to get a finer resolution on where you're capabilities are that day so yeah it's it's tough without any data though (laughs) i like no i like that but you know my i guess i I came to this question um because there there, when i did my little crossfit experiment there were a lot of workouts that are like all right you got 10 singles on whatever if it's press or jerk or front squat whatever work you know and you're trying to find a one rm for the day and it's like invariably people's first single would be something stupid light like 70 percent, and then they would just take these huge jumps and end up failing around rep five (laughs) or six and you have all these attempts left and so i'm thinking i'm like all right well how would i do this right now i have the benefit of having a long training history i kind of know where my maxes should be for most lifts Mm -hmm. at any given point um i'm thinking yeah if, if i've got let's just say five singles to work with like that's where, where I'm, where I'm going. I'm yeah, I'm starting at something that's like a heavy triple and I'm taking two and a half percent jumps ish and trying to leave a couple kilos in the tank. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need to like go to that ragged edge and fail a rep, which is effectively, it's better to leave a couple kilos on the platform or in this case, the bent or whatever, uh, than fail and miss, you know, like, yeah. so I think, most people take too big a jumps and they're like, yeah, I just jumped 5%. And it's like, yeah, well, that's actually a substantial amount. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I probably wouldn't have done that. Um, and paying attention to bar speed. Yeah. Cause that's, that's going to be your biggest thing. If, if, uh, what you thought was your one RM flew. Well, cool. Well, we got some put, room put to some go more on there. Yeah. But if 90% really, really slows down and is grindy, like, well, you might only be good for 93% today of what you thought was your one RM just for mm-hmm. the given day. So, uh, and I'm sure when you're warming up to singles, you kind of do this too. You have a ballpark like, all right, here's a single I need to work up to for the day ish. You're you might give yourself two warm ups beforehand that are probably within 10 percent of that top mm-hmm. that top number. The first one that should be super easy. The second one challenging but not impossible. And then you stick to the plan. Yeah. If the first one felt terrible, you're like, what's happening? Maybe we need to adjust the plan. Yeah. <laughs> and, but by the same token, if the first one felt amazing, you don't deviate from the plan either you go to the same planned you know intermediate jump and just to verify to mm-hmm. get that sort of granularity but i think what people do is that if that first warm-up flies they're like cool i'm just jumping to the i'm gonna pr or i'm gonna go up a, you know go off plan and it's like yeah if it's real light it's hard to tell yeah it's hard to tell i think another so, thing for the the average gym goer when it comes to testing maxes is to not get so glued to the like round numbers sure and and to like <laughs> take a take a 390 it doesn't yeah. have to be a 405 you know what i mean like take a 390 yeah. take a 400 they call yeah. that the gentleman's 405 that's um, right what's the what's the hardest number to load on the barbell 
I don't, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, it's gotta be like 490 or like 485 or something, you know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's nothing between 365 and 405 and there's mm-hmm. nothing between 455 and, and 495, 500, you know, it's like, how do you even, <laughs> so, yeah. how, do you, how do you load this? You use those change plates, take the time, do your math and, uh, you know, it's better to walk away with like a 15 pound PR than to miss a 25 pound PR in my opinion. It's I full agreement, full agreement. Even though I understand that the bro math, it's like, there's just no man's land mm-hmm. between 45s and 25s. Like, and those could, milestones are big. Like there's, there's no like denying that, but I mean, I don't know. You're, there's you're a probably whole mess doing of more between favors. Them. Yeah. Taking a weight in between and postponing that, uh, that glorious celebration to when you can actually hit it with some oomph. Can you imagine somebody using pound plates, not kilo plates? Because kilo plates would be easy, be five reds for two ninety five, mm. uh, like for or five ninety five rather. Can you imagine somebody loading up five ninety five and they've never pulled six hundred before? <laughs> like just, it would be crazy because you got you got six forty fives per side, and then you just put on a five, and you're like, mm, <laughs> this is. I think I've not been f- that guy before. I think I've, I think I've done that. I think I, yeah. yeah. Well, right. Well, that and again. So see how what Bryce's trajectory has been like. You can. It's okay to load intermediate weights. Mm-hmm. It is okay. You. It's still a PR. No one can take that away from you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that's a good. That wraps uh, temp selection. A nice little bow. Uh, maybe a provocative question. What rule in powerlifting would you change if you could change a rule? This is interesting. I like. I saw this. I saw this in there and was wondering what I would change. And I'm not not certain i have a great answer um yeah well i'll i'll tell you what i would change and then okay you can weigh in on sure just to because it's probably it's probably gonna be the same you're probably gonna agree with me and then it's fine no um (laughs) (laughs) well so i actually don't have any heart like problems with any of the existing organization's rules i just feel like we're all agreeing to play by the same rules and like whatever that that's fine Mm -hmm. but if i could change some rules, I would just get rid of the, the commands. I basically like on a squat, for example, you'd walk out, you just do your squat and then the judges would tell you if it was good or not. Mm. Uh, or like the bench, you would just do a bench and they'd tell you, was it paused or not? (laughs) And like, you know, did, did you start from a fully locked out position? So, cause I, I think like the start commands, uh, for example, you're the, obviously there's a big subjective part there. And then also like to the extent that you're, you're almost giving the lifter like an out, like, Oh, actually your elbows were bent. And it's like, you were trying to just do this lift here and you got to like do it by the, to the standard. So show me, you can do it. Same thing on the pause, right? It's like if different judges are going to have different pause lengths and people mm-hmm, complain about mm-hmm. it and it's like, all right, well maybe you just do the lift and then tell me, was it good or not? You know, right. red, red light or not. Right. Uh, and, and on the deadlift down command, like people will be, have like just hitched something for example, and are just waiting for the down command. And the head judge is like, I mean, you did. It, you are standing up all the way, but we're going to red light you anyway. It's yeah. like just do the deadlift and then set it down, and then tell me like was it good or not. So That's those would really be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people are like, well, "This is crazy." Then what do you have judges? For? Well, the judges are just there to tell you like was it done to the standard that yeah. we're holding you to. And I think that'd be my rule change. But whatever. I think that gets at some like really interesting things in terms of like okay, so if we if we look at the bench press example all of the referees are tied into the press calls of the head ref. 
Mm-hmm. So the head ref, in essence, gets to influence the decisions of the side refs by mm-hmm. potentially creating an arbitrarily long or arbitrarily short pause. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, the side referees in an ideal scenario should have just as much training and say, perhaps, in whether or not the pause was sufficient. So it's an interesting thing to create more of like an independence in the judging um, and not have them tied to the commands because yeah, you do definitely, you know, as a, as somebody who's refereed uh, quite a bit myself, you do end up kind of like tied together in somewhat of a unified front because, you know, the lifter wasn't getting the start command in the squat. So now you're paying attention to the knees or, you know, any other number of things. Um, yeah, that's, I, I think that's really interesting. <laughs> Wait, did you just end up agreeing with my rule change? <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's something that, that is I, interesting. Maybe I like, would love to talk to more people about and spend more time thinking about because I think it's it's a cool idea. I certainly don't disagree with it, yeah. not on its face. I don't know if I fully agree with sure. it, but I don't know what my arguments against it would be yet. I think it's really interesting, though. I just want to take the judges out of the meet, like as far as them participating in it, because mm. it's like get oh, some kind of really the with like a bit- laser like identifier and just there's depth and away we go. Yeah. Or like, uh, and, or for example, when the, the bar can't move down for, you know, at any point during the Mm -hmm. lift or or in the bench press, once the up has started, well, we could put a transducer in the barbell to tell you like, well, I think Aliko's already got a, like an end cap with velocity measurements built into it. Right. Like, yes, I ordered it. I am excited. Uh, yeah. So my claim to my, my prize possession is my Alico comp powerlifting bar that I, I love so much. I've Mm -hmm. had it now for a long time and I'm like, Ooh, I've just upgraded this thing. Yes, 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 exactly. That's, (laughs) that's exactly what I need to really take my training to the next level is is this velocity thing. But I've actually, I've really enjoyed, uh, and, and found like velocity tracking and training useful. I don't necessarily, it doesn't direct a lot of my training, but I do find it helps give me something a little bit more objective, uh, for helping rate RPEs. And again, just get like a little bit better resolution on some of those training decisions and judgments. So are you rating your RPE and then I guess checking the velocity to make sure like, yeah, that makes sense. Or are you more or going less, the, back, yeah. the opposite way? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll rate my RPE and then use it and say, okay, you know, I was pretty much on with the range of velocities that I usually attribute to this RPE rating, uh, or I'll adjust it by like a half a point at most. Um, I I don't really have those sessions where it's like, I have no idea what that was. Like I've been doing it too long to really not, not know what my RPEs are. Um, but I could see it being helpful. I've, I've had it, uh, like I've had some of my clients get units in the past and it's helped us develop more of a common language when it comes to RP. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I've had lifters who just overshoot like crazy, uh, or they'll do something and be yep. like, it was a seven. So I went up two and a half kilos and I missed it. And you're like, okay, whoa, that's not how this works. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> Turns out that wasn't a seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah. it's, I, I think it definitely has, has its uses or, uh, has been useful for me. No, I do. Well, I have a BART, the, was it Speed for Lifts tracker oh, okay. thing now? Yeah, nice. I, yeah, which is cool. Um, and then when people saw Austin and I using them, they were like, oh, so you're just not using RP anymore. You're just using the velocity. It's like, mm. well, no, they work together, but I'm st- I, the RPE for me supersedes the velocity, right? It's for like sure. that felt like this, and I'm just using that to like corroborate the evidence or be like, actually, you were 
maybe a little too uh, con- you know conservative or you're like under undershooting it's just a hair it just mm-hmm. adds some resolution uh, and yeah. also the like gamesmanship because I'm like I want to move this one faster oh <laughs> absolutely man like absolutely the the last couple of singles before the top single when oh, those yeah. are really flying it, I think it does give you a lot of extra confidence to be like okay I'm I'm moving well today like this is this is gonna really boogie and I think there are some advantages to going into a top set with some of that additional confidence and, and like objective measure to say like, Hey, I'm performing really well. So this is going to go well. Yeah. I also like some, my protocols right now are like triple at seven surf, which is like, keep the weight the same for Mm -hmm. another 15 reps. Uh, no set at seven, no above seven. And so I'm like, all right, well, I know what the velocity range is there. So if the velocity starts to dip, the thing will yell at me and like, Hey, Stop being an idiot. I mean, it doesn't say that, but like, that's basically what it's telling me. So it can be useful. Um, Okay. This is, I I like this topic a lot. I'm just curious to kind of get your thoughts. Um, Internet in the fitness industry, Mm -hmm. every, you know, these aspiring coaches or would-be coaches are like, well, how do you even build this online following? Like, how do you, how do you do it? So it sounds like you had this like very serendipitous business class that kind of like helped you create this brand, but like, what else have, do you feel like you've done to like amass your current following and, and, and your audience? Um, like YouTube has been obviously huge and instrumental for our, um, for, for building our following, creating a following, uh, in the first place. And again, it was, it was kind of a serendipitous thing of me, uh, running into my now business partner, Dylan and him being like, Hey, uh, we should film some of your workouts and like make them into vlogs. Uh, and originally I had approached him and said, I want to do some client spotlights. I think it's a cool way to highlight and promote the business and like show people what, you know, who our community is and get people interested. Um, and he was filming some vlogs of himself and he's like, Hey man, I can make really great videos, but I'm not that strong and nobody cares to watch me like dumbbell press 45s you know what i mean like he's like if if i can take my creativity and and my abilities behind the camera and in the editing studio and apply them to like your lifting and at the time i was starting to train for ipf classic worlds in 2016 he's like well then i think we really like we can really put something together so um that was a lot of it and then i think things really started taking off when i started thinking about always trying to provide some kind of value uh, in terms of giving somebody a takeaway, giving somebody some sort of insight into how I'm successful, why I'm successful, um, helping people. And, you know, we've, we've built a lot more of what we've got for following on doing things like form check Friday and trying to help people improve their technique and talking to people about program design and offering tips and suggestions uh, for different ways to lift and different things, um, you know, workarounds for injuries and all these kinds of things. So I think one of the big questions that always comes into mind when creating some kind of content is like, okay, can somebody take this and use it? You know, is, is watching this going to benefit somebody and then, okay, how do we make it more watchable? So make it benefit somebody and then try to make it watchable so that people, you know, it's not just like dry, content, which there's definitely a market for if you're a a brain genius. Um, 
but <laughs> you know if, if you're like a, if you're a super genius <laughs> um then yeah like yeah. in a lot of cases you can get away with being dry and it's almost a necessity of a lot of that information because as soon as you start getting into more nuanced discussions i think it inherently starts to lose like inherently a lot of people will start to lose interest because they want the quick takeaways so you also have to think about where you sure. land on that spectrum of detail and and nuance but yeah that's a- yeah i actually think that's perfect i had not I had not heard that idea conceptualized so clearly and succinctly. It's like, you know, there's a, on the edutainment continuum, (laughs) there are people that are like full-blown educators, right? Mm -hmm. And there are people that are full-blown entertainers. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, where do you fall on that scale? And I think in this space, that's like the ticket to success, unless you happen to be this very successful athlete that's already popular, in which case you don't need to listen to this because you're already popular. Yeah, you have your yeah audience. exactly. You if you can this. just like smash world records and you look like a bodybuilder. Yeah, um, turns out. You can kind of do no wrong. And if you're good, you can do exceptionally well. Like if you Correct. do all that other stuff well on top of that, you're really laughing. Yeah. 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 So if you're on that, find out where you're at on the edutainment scale and then always provide value or something useful and then try to make it entertaining, you know, yeah. and accessible. And that's... uh. Yeah, it, this is a very common thread that I've heard and had spouted on this podcast over and over again. It's like, nope, nobody's saying like, yeah, you know, I just like put stuff out there and uh, yeah, randomly kind of blew up. Everything, everybody's had this very intentional focus and it's always started with helping folks, mm-hmm. right? Providing mm-hmm. value, providing um, something useful. And it's like, yeah, content is king. And if your content is useful and entertaining, oh, you're going to be great. So that's why, yeah, I agree that, I mean, I wasn't going to tell you why I thought your online brand has done so well, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's to me, that's not a surprise. Somebody who's doing things that intentionally and like with that sort of underlying understanding of what's going on uh, with like people are watching cause they want to learn stuff and they also want to be entertained. So mm-hmm. it's like, do, do that. Um, you, now you've had like this sort of coming through the ranks uh, as far as like the cachet that you are carrying with respect to knowledge. And a lot of that has been your own, like you've sought out experts and, 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 and education and this and the other. So mm-hmm. if you were going to tell like aspiring coaches or would be coaches, like what to do or where to go to uh, get woke, <laughs> but, but for real though, to get coach uh, woke. Yeah. Coach. woke. yeah. What, like, what would be your, your top few tips? Oh man. Uh, there's, there's so much out there. I think it's almost more like how to parse it than it is how to find it. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Fair. Um, but I mean, yeah, I would say don't, don't undervalue and don't overvalue, um, like formal education. I think that there are, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of programs like the one that I went through. Uh, it was a two year full-time university program. It was called the personal fitness trainer diploma program. And it was, it was fitness training. It was personal training. It was, we had a strength training class. We went through nutritional protocols for weight loss. We went through like all the meat and potatoes and all of the very applicable stuff that, you know, I could then take to the gym, um, which would be another really important thing I would suggest is work with all kinds of people to find out who you work best with and who you want to work with. Um, but I could take stuff from my lesson that day and go try it out at work that night. So I think having that sort of marriage mm-hmm. of practical and theoretical knowledge uh, was was exceptionally valuable for me. Um, 
you know, uh, there's so many good podcasts uh, like your own. And you mentioned Greg Knuckles. I think he's another great source of information. Um, there's fantastic information on YouTube. And I think that if you go into a lot of that information and then, you know, just check the references, basically, you know, you'll hear a lot of smart guys talk about a lot of other really smart guys. And then you go read their work or look for their work. And they're talking about other smart guys and you can just go down the rabbit hole uh, and basically, you know, find all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, beyond podcasts and stuff, there's plenty of really interesting S and C textbooks, um, that are still coming out. Um, like I just got a copy of, uh, can't remember Franz Bosch's new book and he's got some really interesting, like oh, conceptual, nice. almost, almost like postmodernist strength training stuff in there that I'm very excited to dive into. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, there's just such a wealth of it. I think it's more about trying to like parse it and set yourself up a schedule to consume and practice and read and listen to that kind of stuff. Cause there's really, yeah, there's really no shortage of sources to learn from. Maybe just try to figure out where you learn the best, right? Like whether it's from a textbook or from a video or from a podcast or from having conversations, that would be another thing. Sorry. I'm just going to keep jabbering. Um, is it like, if, if you come across somebody whose ideas you like, like, don't be afraid to send them a DM or an email and like, tell them you appreciate it and ask them a question or, you know, ask to have a conversation or pay for consult or whatever. Um, but I think, you know, having conversations with people is one of the best ways you can, uh, understand how other people think. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's been really valuable with me working with Mike has been, you know, part of the, part of it has been the ability to pick his brain. Um, and now I'm lucky enough to coach a lot of other coaches. So I pick their brains and they pick my brains and it's a, it's a whole big brain pick and train. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it actually is super surprising to me that how accessible a lot of ex- bona fide experts are mm-hmm. when you email them particularly if you're complimentary and then ask them questions so i we basically are in the dwindling hours of finishing this nutrition text and like a lot of the same authors kept coming up like that we were citing over and over and over again and i'm like you know I'm not that clear on this particular topic. I'm curious to what they they actually have to say. And it's mm-hmm. like with it, it took them probably five or ten minutes to answer my email. I learned more than I could have possibly learned in hours of reading the primary research. And I, that's what I do, right? Like that's mm-hmm. and so it's like imagine even on a different scale if you're just getting into reading scientific papers or just getting into creating your fund of knowledge through either formal education or some other type program. And like, you can just talk to an expert for a little bit, even if mm-hmm. they don't have all the answers and maybe there's, it's an area of, of a controversy it, it, within a short period of time, you can learn so, so, so much. Uh, it's yeah, that is highly underutilized. So mm-hmm. doesn't mean you guys all need to email me or Bryce. Like you, you can, <laughs> you can, yeah, you, it's fine. But like, there are, yeah, these, most of these people love talking about their work and talking about what they've done and, and, and their ideas. So, uh, I think those are all excellent and, and that kind of wrapped this podcast in a nice little bow. Uh, Bryce, you're awesome. Obviously super, uh, Thanks, well-spoken, great lifter, a lot of good insight. Uh, where can people find, find you and interact with you on the internet? 
So um, I am the uh, the head coach at Calgary Barbell. So you can go to calgarybarbell.com. We got links to all of our stuff there. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Same thing, Calgary Barbell. Instagram, same thing, Calgary Barbell. And my personal Instagram is Bryce underscore CBB. And you can uh, follow along with my lifting and pictures of my dog on there. It's perfect. Perfect. Uh, Bryce, thanks so much for joining us here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, that's a wrap on episode 145 of the Barbell Medicine Podcast with Bryce Kracek. Big shout out to Bryce for coming on the podcast. Really had a great time. I've linked all of his contact info and linky links in the description below, so uh, check that out. Uh, But before you go, leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you get your podcast from. We really appreciate that, and we hope that you join us next week and every week right here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. See you.